I got in trouble last time. I, I said some things that were incorrect. So please pay attention. If I say anything wrong about the Harry Potter series, by all means, correct me. Uh, I'm open to that. Uh, but So this is a scene from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, part one. <clears throat> and of course, it is Dobby's death scene. Now, we won't go into all of the history if you're not familiar. Um, read the books, watch the movies, whatever you want to do. Uh, get caught up. But one of the things, the thing about this scene, and, and I didn't realize how, you know, I'm not someone who's kind of grown up on the books. For those who have, for those who kind of followed the characters from the beginning, this was an emotionally traumatic kind of moment where Dobby, this, this house elf who has been freed and has become a real dear friend to Harry and his friends, gives his life for, for this group. And it's a pretty interesting, kind of remarkable thought, this, this you know, little creature who's found so much in being loved and valued by this group of people that he's willing to give his life for them. And even at the end, to be able to say, you know, he's happy that, that there's some sense of fulfillment, of, of even joy in being willing to lay his life down for his friends. Well, we are continuing a series that we've been calling Enjoy, where we're looking at the letter to the Philippian church that we see uh, from Paul in the New Testament. It's a small letter, but in this small letter, Paul, who's writing from prison, mentions joy 16 times, references joy in some way 16 different times, more than in any scripture we have in the rest of the Bible. And so we've been asking the question, what can we learn about where Paul finds joy in the midst of of less than ideal circumstances, to say the least. In some cases, in, in really bad, difficult circumstances. How does Paul find joy, and what can we learn from that? <clears throat> now, before we jump in, I, I hope that you were encouraged listening to our youth. Just a reminder, that the people who work with our youth, they do an amazing job. Um, it's all volunteers. We don't pay any of them anything. They just spend lots of their own time and resources uh, to love on these kids and invest in them. Uh, if, if you haven't yet, you should check out our Facebook page. There are some pictures of a what I've come to realize is called a gaga pit that our, uh, some of our volunteers built for our kids. It's, it's basically like if you remember those little plastic fences we used to have for our toddlers, you know, so they wouldn't like get into stuff. It's like that, only then you give them a ball and they throw it at each other. Um, it's pretty cool. My kids love it. Uh, they have a lot of fun. It's great. And, and they can come out of it saying words like toxicity, and uh, that's pretty cool too. So was that amazing to you? I'm like, did he just say toxicity? That's... Wow. So anyway, um, so, so that was great. So we're going to jump into uh, to Philippians this morning. We're in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, so I'm going to read it. Uh, you'll, you'll see it up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. If you do, you, uh, please follow along with me in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. We have some extras uh, on the back in the, in the foyer uh, on the little countertop. We have some Bibles there. Feel free to grab one. Take it home as our gift to you. Uh, but we're going to start in chapter 2. In the book of Philippians, Paul writes, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. 
He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Then he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Skipping down to verse 16. Hold firmly to the word of life then on the day of Christ's return. I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I think I probably say that a lot. I think I have a a lot of favorites. Um, But this one is, it's actually most scholars who look at it would say this is a hymn. When Paul starts in talking about Jesus who was kind of himself God, didn't consider equality with God something to cling to. Uh, As it goes down through there, the structure is such that they think it was either an ancient Christian hymn that Paul was kind of referencing, or it might have even just been one that Paul wrote on his own. But, but it's, it's almost like this song. Paul breaks out in song about this movement that we see in the person of Jesus, who himself was God, divine, didn't cling to that position, but willingly laid it down, gave his life for us. And Paul reflects on that and calls the Philippian church, these people, to be like Christ, to imitate him, to, to follow his example, which is a fairly high bar. But what's fascinating about this is where Paul begins. He doesn't begin by kind of saying, look, you kind of you have to do this. This is what it means. Like, this is the job description. Go do it. Just be good little soldiers. He starts by mentioning, he, if, you've, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we've gone through some of the other things that Paul has talked about where he's found joy. So this idea of the first week we looked at how Paul found joy in recognizing that everyone, including himself, was a work in progress. Last week we talked about this idea that Paul, the center of Paul's life, his focus was on Christ and living for Christ, not for himself. And Paul begins this by focusing on the reality that these people belong to Christ. He says, if there's any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love. He reminds them that this st- the starting point is that you all belong to Christ. Now, what does that mean exactly, that they belong to Christ? Because that, that word can mean a lot of different things. And I think for Paul, belonging to Christ is pretty different than like how we might say that car belongs to me or that's my house or my iPad. For Paul, someone belongs to Christ more like it, you might think about a parent-child relationship or a lover, right? That person, you know, a lover belongs to their, their lover and a child belongs to their parent as a result not of some kind of ownership or contract, but as a result of devotion, right? The extent to which someone belongs to me in that relationship is based on devotion towards one another, not on any kind of contractual agreement. And so when he's talking about the way in which we belong to Christ, 
he frames that by looking at Jesus' sacrifice, his death and resurrection, and how he gives his life for us as an example of the extent to which Jesus is devoted to us in love. And so in that way, we belong to him. And as he, as he kind of works through this, this progression, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't, we don't get this image of Jesus that he like dies in some kind of passive acceptance of his kind of inability to do anything about death, right? It's not this like Jesus got himself in this situation and it kind of stinks, but he ended up getting killed. But it's actually this very kind of conscious, intentional move where Jesus recognizes that he is, in fact, God. He is divine. And yet, he doesn't cling to that, but lays that aside for the sake of others. It begins not with a sense of insecurity or uncertainty about who he is, but a certainty of his position that enables him to give himself away for others. It's a confident move. It's because Jesus knows who he is that he's able to give himself away for us. And Paul reminds us from the very beginning that you belong to Christ. And because you belong to Christ, follow his example of giving yourself away for others. That it's that belonging that's necessary to enable us to give in that way. Um, you're probably familiar with Harriet Tubman. Uh, Harriet Tubman uh, was nicknamed Grandma Moses. She, she was, she's legendary for running the Underground Railroad, helping hundreds of slaves find their freedom during uh, you know, slavery in America. Well, a- as a slave herself, part of what drove her to seek her own independence, her own freedom, was this sense, this understanding of who she was before God that she was in fact someone who bore the image of God, who God loved, who nobody owned. And it empowered her to, get to, to work for her own freedom. And then once she achieved her own freedom, she realized there's a whole bunch of people who are made in the image of God just like me, who likewise need to find their own freedom. And so she took hundreds of trips back into the deep south, to help bring people out to freedom. And she once said, uh, she she regularly um, referenced her trust in God and how important it was that she knew God was with her on these trips. That's what kept her going. Once she said, I always told God, I'm going to hold steady on you and you've got to see me through. But it was this, this sense of belonging to God and God's presence with her that enabled her to take considerable risk, to time and again risk her own freedom and her own safety and, frankly, her own life for the sake of others. But it began not with saying, I'm worthless, so I might as well just do this, but recognizing, actually, I'm someone who God values deeply. And because of that, I'm driven to lay, lay aside my rights and privileges for the sake of others. It begins with a sense of belonging. And as we do this, as we imitate Christ, we find something that we don't expect. I think most of us, when we think about the idea of laying down our life for others, when we think about kind of sacrificing for someone else, 
we do so with gritted teeth in the sense of, well, I kind of ought to, right? Like, that's what nice people ought to do. We ought to help other people out, even when it, it's not fun for me or it costs me something. But Paul actually suggests that the reason we choose to f- imitate Jesus in this way, to follow his example, is because, surprisingly, joy is found in seeking the joy of others. That when we live for others' well-being, we find that ours is tied up in that as well. We experience joy when we seek the joy of others. Look at how Paul wraps up his section. He talks about this idea of kind of being poured out as a liquid offering. Uh, The the references to uh, liquid sacrifices that would be made at at altars, both in in the temple, in, in kind of the Old Testament way of worshiping God, but also in religions that were around them. This, this drink offering that would be poured out. And he uses that as an analogy of the way that he kind of pours himself out for others. This complete kind of just giving himself for the sake of other people. And then he says this. He says, I want you to share in that joy with me. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't often think about pouring myself out, kind of laying it all out there for someone else as a source of joy. Kind of the opposite, right? Like, maybe I will do that if I feel obligated, but it doesn't particularly feel very joyful. But Paul's claim is that we actually experience joy when we follow Jesus in the radical act of self-giving love. It's really different, right? I mean, we often think about joy as something we get when we get what we want, right? Finally, when we get the thing that we've always been wanting, then we'll experience joy. And so joy is kind of always this thing out there. Or maybe we experience it in moments, but it's fleeting. Because as soon as we get it, then what do we often start doing? Well, we look around at other people, at what they have or don't have. We start start comparing ourselves to others and realizing that as soon as we get the thing that we think will bring us joy, we experience, it's not actually all that I thought it would be. And look at them. They seem happier than me. They actually have more of what I thought I wanted and needed. So maybe what I need is what they have. You know, and fill in the blank. Maybe they have more money or nicer stuff or more free time or whatever it might be. But the moment we start looking around, there's a quote on, you know, it's floating around the interwebs. It's attributed to Teddy Roosevelt, and you never quite know um, if it it belongs to the person it's attributed to. But we'll we'll give it to Teddy. Um, And it's that comparison. Wait, I want to get this right. I don't want to degrade Teddy's memory, even if it's not actually him. Um, Comparison is the thief of joy. That's what it is. Comparison is the thief of joy. Right? Because as soon as we start looking around, we might be completely happy with our current situation. And then we start looking around at other people. And maybe it's just Facebook, or maybe it's our neighbors, or it's your coworker, or your family member, whatever. Suddenly, what you thought was so great is now not nearly as good because it's not quite what they have. And this is often the cycle we find ourselves in as we pursue joy. 
Joy is always this kind of elusive thing that we might get whiffs of, right? Like we get that moment, ah, and then it's fleeting. We get, we get that, that raise, ah, finally, and then we spend it. We get that house, finally, the, the house I always wanted. And then the next year you're like, I can't keep it clean. There's so many different nooks and crannies. And where did all of this crap come from? Right? Like, that great car you've always wanted, or, or all that time that you wish that you had. And then you get it. And it's, it, it's not what you thought it would be. I mean, it's not bad. It's good. But it's not this deep-seated kind of joy that you, that you expected. And what's fascinating is that Paul says it's actually found in the place we least expect. We find joy when we live not for our own joy, but for the joy of others. When we seek not our own good, but the good of others. Lots of really smart people have riffed on this throughout history. A couple. Uh, We have St. Francis of Assisi, who says, For it is in giving that we receive. Leo Tolstoy, author, The sole meaning of life is to serve humanity. Even Winston Churchill once said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Time and time again, people who we look to who have some sense of wisdom, knowledge, experience, point back and say, surprisingly, joy is not discovered where you think it would be. The place where you're looking is rarely where it is. It's often found when we even lay aside what we want for the sake of the well-being of others. Strange as it might be. Last October, Time Magazine published an article entitled, The Secret to Happiness is Helping Others. It's not particularly nuanced, as titles go, but it works. Um, And in it, the author claims that experiments, some, some research they've done, has shown evidence that altruism is hardwired in the brain. And it's pleasurable. As you read along, I mean, psychologists have studied this for a while, that we are actually kind of hardwired. There's something in us that responds to using our resources, our talents, our gifts, our time, our money, our energy, to make a difference in someone's life. That when that happens, when we use what we have to bring joy to someone else, it doesn't, it's not just like this kind of, well, because of all the messages we hear, we know that socially that's acceptable and so we feel good about ourselves. There's like a, a chemical response in our brain. There's a firing that happens that encourages that behavior. You were created to experience joy by bringing joy to others. This is what we were made for. So if you're lacking joy, if you're struggling to find meaning, purpose, a sense of joy in your life, the first step I would encourage you to take, particularly for those of us who are looking to follow in the way of Jesus, is to look around and say, where, where is there a lack of joy around me? And how might, be, how I might stop, how might I play a concrete role in bringing joy into that situation, into that person's life. I thought of this the other day. Um, so we've had, 
you know, in, in communities like this, it's funny, we go through ebbs and flows in terms of people going through health situations. Uh, there are times where it feels like everybody's healthy, nobody has any problems at all, and you're just like, this is great. And then there's other times where it just feels like everybody's experiencing tragedy and heartache at the same time. And um, we were experiencing kind of a, a season of this. We're still kind of in the middle of a little bit of it where there's just a number of people who are part of our community here who have had just really difficult times. And uh, one of them is uh, uh, John Reichert. Some of you may know John. He's been really going through it. He's been in the hospital for a couple of weeks. Um, and it happened at a time where uh, my schedule was just really tight. There was a lot of things going on that had my time, timed, uh, my time tied up. And I just couldn't make it to Hershey to see him. And I was, I was feeling bad about that. I was trying to figure out how do I juggle my schedule around to do it. And then I had a conversation with Dean Gall, who's one of our lead deacons. Now, Dean, uh, some of you may know, many of you probably don't, that Dean actually recently uh, suffered a concussion. And so he's been kind of wrestling with that and how that's impacted his life and trying to figure out, okay, how do I, how do I heal from this? How do I, you know, when do I go back to work? How do I start picking up things at home? That kind of thing. In the midst of Dean dealing with this, you know, I, I am t- talking to Dean about the situa- situation with John, and he's like, oh, yeah, I visited him twice over the past, you know, week and a half, two weeks. He's like, I was there. Went to the hospital, drove up to Hershey, saw him. I was like, really? Like, you're, you're cool? You're all right? And he's like, actually, I, I really enjoy that. It's really great. And, and there was this, like, really, I mean, he wasn't just, like, telling me that because he's like, oh, I need to ease Tim's fear, alleviate his worry. But there was this really deep way in which seems like, no, it's meaningful for me to, show, to drive an hour, sit in that hospital room, and just listen and encourage and pray. There's not a whole lot I can do for him. You know, I can't fix him. But I can be there. I can show him that, he ca- that someone cares about him, that he matters, and then I can come home. And that's actually really cool. I'm really glad I can do that. And, of course, it meant a ton to John when I talked to John. I mean, he was just, it was deeply grateful that someone had made that trip to see him. And it, it struck me as really illustrative of this point that it wasn't just Dean kind of doing something that was nice, but it was Dean doing something that brought him great joy in seeking the well-being, the joy of someone else. And this is how we were made to live. Not by pursuing our own joy and happiness at all costs, but by recognizing that we belong to Christ. And because we belong to Christ, we can be free to lay ourselves out for the sake of others' joy. And in doing that, we experience joy ourselves. So what opportunities exist in front of you this week to bring joy to someone else? What could you do tomorrow at work? tonight, this afternoon in your house, in your neighborhood, where are there places where joy is lacking? And how might you be able to be someone who brings joy into someone else's life? What's a small thing you could do? It's different for everybody. It's different for every situation. It could be visiting someone in the hospital. It could be taking a meal to a neighbor, inviting a neighbor over for a meal. It could be making a phone call, creating space in your life, for someone who you know you've needed to create space in your life for for a long time, and you just need to do it. It feels costly. You don't feel like you have the time. It's different for all of us. But 
what Paul's telling us is that if we choose in recognizing that we belong to Christ and so we're living, we're living out the life of Christ in the world, bringing joy and hope to others, if, if, we, if we see our lives in that way, as we choose to bring joy to others, we'll experience more joy ourselves. That, that is how we were made to live. Um, one kind of practical thing to fall out there, throw out there, just because I think it works. Um, I wasn't sure whether I was going to mention this during this time or not, but uh, you know, I, I think it kind of fits, and then we're going to move into something else here. Um, you know, we, I shared, I, th- I believe it was last week, about a, a family here, the Hefts. It's a, a family who kind of tragically is uh, the, the mother. It's a, a husband and wife, three uh, preteen and teenage daughters. And she recently just found out that she has incurable cancer. They've, they've given her, uh, she's, she's going through some intensive chemo, uh, but she has a relatively short window. Uh, and they're currently, they're, they're doing some, well, a number of you have come to me and you've said, hey, you know what? I know what cancer's like. It's been a part of my story as well. And I really want to be, I want to I do something. What can I do? And so we just wanted to kind of let you know if this is one avenue for you, um, where you'd like to be a part of practically making a difference. Uh, they are doing uh, a fundraiser for the Hefts. Um, so there's a way you can be involved there. There's also uh, opportunities to provide meals or, or you know, other kind of practical things. If that's something you'd be interested in being a part of, um, we wouldn't, I'd encourage you, you can come talk to me. You can talk to any of the deacons. Uh, we don't have a ton of them here, but Dean and Kathy are in the back, I believe. So if you guys want to put up your hands, they're in the back. Do we have any other deacons who are in here this morning? Oh, there we go. The outlines are up here. Uh, I believe Dave Hershey's in the back, and the Schaefer's aren't here this morning. This is a team who they, they spend a lot of their free time trying to figure out how are we providing care, uh, practical care, compassion for people in our, in our church community who are struggling, who are suffering. If you'd like to be a part, particularly for the HEPs or for anybody, you just want to say, like, hey, I don't know where you need me, but I have these gifts, and I'd love to help out. Talk to the deacons, and they'll help you guys get plugged in. And again, if, if you want to be a part of that, that fundraiser as well, mention that to them, mention that to me, and we'll help you get connected. As a church, we're going to be giving a gift, but we wanted to make that available for you guys if that was something you were particularly interested in. All right, we're going to do something a little different this morning. So I just spent this whole chunk of time talking about how we give ourselves away in love for others, imitating Christ to bring joy. Now, a, a friend pulled me aside a couple of weeks ago, and she's like, yeah, you know, Tim, we talk about loving other people a lot, and that's really good. I'm glad. But sometimes we need some handles on boundaries. Like, how do we love people well, but also recognize that there might be times when we have to say no, or we have to draw lines? Like, can we get some handles for that? Like, how do we do that? And I, was, and I thought that was a, a great reflection. Um, and as I was thinking about this particular passage, I thought, oh, this could be maybe a helpful time to discuss that a little bit. Uh, so I invited our friend uh, and resident therapist, uh, Dan Durr, if he'd come up. So Dan, if you want to make your way up here. Thank you so much, Jesus, for loving us, even the point of dying. Let us not keep this love to ourselves, but help us to seek out others who need your love and hope too. We pray that you will begin to open our eyes to a world that is hurting and that you will begin to do something about it through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a good week, everybody.